Hey everyone, welcome to Pure Nova's Digital Switch Podcast. This week's episode is going to be a little different because we're actually going to be listening in on our recent event. We partnered with Women in Big Data to bring you four incredible panelists who are going to discuss the importance of achieving data quality for better business decisions. So with that being said, let's get started. All right, good morning, everyone. We are going to go ahead and get started. Um, first, thank you so much for joining the Pure Nova and Women in Big Data event today. The topic we're going to be discussing is achieving data quality for better business decisions. So my name is Sonia, and I am on the marketing team here at Pure Nova. Now, the year is coming to an end, and I know it's a crazy time for most of us, so we really appreciate each of you tuning in for this session. Now, before we get started, I want to let everyone know that you should have access to a chat box um, on this WebEx screen, screen. So we're gonna be answering questions throughout the event. So please feel free to type any questions you might have in that chat box. Now we're gonna kick off this event with an intro from our partner, Women in Big Data. And then we will move to quick intros from our panelists and then we will get right into the meat of our conversation. So. Shuchi is here from Women in Big Data, so I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to her for a brief introduction. All righty. Uh, let's see. You can... Hey, everyone. Can you guys see my screen? Hi. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Pernova, Erica, and Sonia, and everyone for the opportunity. Really excited for the event. My name is Shuchi, and I'm one of the co-directors for the Silicon Valley chapter for uh, Women in Big Data. And um, our organization has been around for a few years, and our mission is to champion the success of, of women in big data through ins inspiration, connection, growth, and elevation. And um, we enable a lot of industry and peer-to-peer -peer learning through our events. I would say on average, we host about four to eight events um, every month. Like I mentioned, we've been around for about five years. We started small and we have a global community of about 16,000 um, women globally in about six continents. So we're very proud of our growth. And I have been with the organization for a few months now, so very excited to be a part. These are some of our sponsors, um, some of uh, our partners who enable a lot of the content um, that we provide for our community. And um, there are ways you can engage, you can join, of course, volunteer, partner with us, or be a sponsor. And you can find us online um, on our website, there is a private LinkedIn group that you can join or our um, LinkedIn page. Um, feel free to engage, like. It's called Women in Big Data. We're also on Twitter. And all the content is also available on our YouTube channel. So feel free to subscribe to it. I am very excited for today's um, event, and I will hand it over back to um, Sonia now. So thank you again for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that great introduction. Now I want to introduce our moderator, Erica, and the panelists and offer them time to give a quick introduction on themselves. So Erica, I'm going to pass it off to you. Hi, my name is Erica Lunsford, and I work at PureNova as the head of our solutions engineering group, which means I basically sit between the client's product and technology. And um, at PureNova, we offer a, a platform called Cuneiform that is a zero-code solution that's um, particularly aimed towards financial services, and it helps automate uh, data quality, end-to-end -end visibility, and process correctness. And so I'm really excited to be here today to talk to you guys about data quality and decision making. Great. Thank you, Erica. Um, Dan, let's move on to you. Sure. My name is Dan Power. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. I'm a managing director at uh, State Street Global Markets, and in particular, um, the head of data governance. And the way we define that uh, definitely includes data quality. Uh, I've always had an interest in data quality and you know, improving it. Uh, the, the cultural aspects, the organizational aspects, kind of the, the, all the stuff around data quality that actually makes it very interesting. 
And obviously, being in a highly regulated industry, uh, the regulators have a big interest in our data quality levels as, as do our customers. So uh, thanks for letting me be here today. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Dan. Let's go on to Ellen. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Oh, sorry. Um, I picked up a dial tone for some reason. I'm so sorry. I'm really happy to be here today, and I want to thank um, Women in Big Data and Piernova for this opportunity. Um, again, Ellen Gentili. I'm the Director of Enterprise Data Quality here at SMBC. I'm just going to quickly say that my opinions expressed today are my own here today, um, but I have been passionate about data quality for a long time and how it can enable confidence in people to be able to do really great things with data. We're living in a great time, so it really is a great time to be a part of this. Um, you can't, data is getting um, a lot of attention and it's the right time and the right place. And just looking forward to seeing all the cool technology that makes it easier to do data quality because it's not an easy job, but it's a great job. And um, thank you. Great, thank you, Ellen. And last but certainly not least, Lyra. Hi, good morning. Thank you everyone for having me today. Thank you uh, for this great conversation we're having. Uh, my name is Lara Gritch, and I'm the founder of Datokulai LLC. It's a data management, governance, and stewardship boutique uh, here in San Francisco. And um, basically, uh, this organization is set up. Uh, I help organizations really find the value in their data, positioning their data as truly an asset, uh, helping people navigate uh, the regulatory uh, space and other data demands that they might have as organization, how they kick off, how they sustain it, and uh, through advocacy, through training, and uh, actually helping them to operationalize it and uh, having data really at the heart of what they do and making the data work for them. That's really what I'm all about and um, very passionate about this conversation around the quality of data. Thank you for having me. Great, thank you, Laura. So thank you everyone for those introductions. It's time to get into our topic at hand, which is data quality. So I'm gonna go ahead and pass it off to our moderator, Erica, and she's gonna take it from here. Thanks, Sonia. And I'm really excited to be here with uh, Dan and Ellen and Laura. And um, I think it'll be really great, you know, having this uh, depth of experience in the financial services around data. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention in my introduction is I had been with BMY Mellon for 15 years. So I can sympathize with uh, where Dan and Ellen sit today, as well as where Laura came yeah. from as well. Um, so I just put together a few slides just to kind of set the stage so that we can really define, you know, what is it that we're talking about here today? Um, data is a very broad subject, right? So what we're really talking about is, is the opportunity that has presented itself over the years of using artificial intelligence and machine learning to really help automate and assist with decision making. And the promise of that is supposed to be about um, giving people back time to then be more innovative and creative, um, introduce more operational efficiency, create a better customer experience, as well as reduce your uh, cost and risk within an organization. And so that's really great. And it's it's been easier for firms who have started with a greenfield. So if you look at firms mm -hmm. like Google, Facebook, et cetera, they built their technology up and were able to kind of plan what data they wanted to capture in order to do some of these things. Now, they're also struggling with some of their own things today, you know, as far as now having to do fact checking and things like that, which have become manual processes for them. But they've still been able to take advantage of a lot of these things that certain industries have not uh, fully been able to realize yet. And there's a lot of challenges there. So one of those industries is financial services. And so we have three experts here today with us um, to talk through those um, challenges. And, you know, one of the challenges is a complex environment. So these are very large organizations that have actually absorbed other organizations over the years, have been an early adopter of technology. And so they have technologies of every flavor from the 60s to modern day, effectively. And all the, that data is in different formats and all those types of things. And then 
there's, um, you know, an inconsistent understanding and different perspectives within the firm that have to be reconciled in order to really understand that data and be able to use it. So I know from my uh, time at BMY Mellon, you know, when, you know, you would go out and you're excited about starting a, um, a data science program, right? Well, data science is built upon data. And um, the whole reason that you use data science is really to make better business decisions, those opportunities that I listed in the beginning. But then you start to run into the reality of what the data looks like. And so, therefore, what I know a lot of you guys do here in Women in Big Data, where you want to get your hands dirty on that data and come up with some really cool solutions, that data is not really fit for it in some cases. And so how do we get it there? What's the process that goes on there? And so just at a very high level, um, if you have quality data, you can make quality decisions. And that's true whether you're using tools like AI or machine learning or, or even just using a report or an Excel spreadsheet to make a decision. How long does it take you to get at that data, validate the data, give it to the users who need to make the decision, and then talk to all the subject matter experts to make sure that that data is correct before you make that decision? And some of these decisions are pretty important, which we'll hear from the panel today, as, you know, in financial services where they're, they're managing risk, um, you know, there's fiduciary responsibility that goes on there. And so... It really boils down to, you know, as Dan was kind of saying in his introduction, is, is how do you get the culture to change? So you've got people, you've got processes, you've got technology. All that's got to come together and, and has to be added to your data, and they have to apply it to the data in order for you then, to then have this successful program of being able to make more effective business decisions. So that's really what we're here to talk about today. So I just wanted to take that few minutes just to set the stage before we dive in and, and hear from our experts on the panel. And just from a housekeeping point of view, um, we will be taking questions between each question. So kind of what we'll do is I'll have the question, I'll ask each of our panelists, they'll take a minute or two for each of those questions, and then we'll open it up to the audience to ask some additional questions. And um, we have three questions today. Okay, that's a lot of using the word question, but um, <laughs> we'll move forward. All right, so our first question, and, and I'm going to start with um, Laura on this one. Um, so what are some of the challenges that enterprises face when processing or using large volumes of data? Uh, thank you, Erica. Uh, this is uh, it, this, the, the question, uh, it's, it's a loaded question. And I look at this question, it's, you know, we've, we, you know, the, with, the, with, the, with the new technologies that we have with cloud computing and everything that we have, in our ecosystem globally now, I think the issue personally, it's not even in the processing power of the volume of data that we have. Of course, the speed and agility is really what's driving our conversation today. And we're getting a lot, you know, we're getting things done a lot faster, a lot quicker, and we're getting volumes of data, like, you know, more than we've ever gotten before. Uh, with cloud computing, we have now the opportunity to have billions of data points that we can put together and start just uh, doing a lot of cool stuff with the volumes of data that we have in our ecosystems that we haven't been using, you know, for a very long time, structured data, unstructured data, you know, in all facets and in all, uh, in all shapes. The challenge that I see that is primarily it's around the large volume of data. It's the same problem that we've had over the years. Again, we know that the bedrock of all of this is the quality of the data. The, I always say the bigger the data, the messier it is, you know. So you have the issue when you have small data, the issue never goes away, never disappears. There's no magic whip around it. If the quality of the data that you have underlining that large volume of data is, is you know, if, if the quality is a mess, you're still going to get that mess. It's not going to go away just because simply because we're having the volume of data. If anything else is really going to, you know, quadruple in a way, because what tends to happen with large volume of data in an governor environment where the quality is compromised one way or the other is the fact that 
Now we have a big mess in front of us. Now let's, we're all moving to cloud computing. We're creating a lake. Very soon you're going to realize that your lake is beginning to look more like a swamp. You know, so what the problem I see that is really, uh, I, I said, every, like we're trying to use all this data to the optimal. We're doing AI, we're making all this great, you know, great decision. We want to get great insight out of this large volume of data. How are you going to get that insight if you have a lot of fog in that large volume? So I see the fundamental problem is still there. The inputs are we how we do this, how we bring those large volume of data into that, uh, into the cloud, how we use them is very, very fundamental to anything we want to do with it, to the analytics, you know, to the opportunities that lies in the volume of data that we have now that we can harness. So we need to resolve that. And there's a lot of opportunities really uh, for us as we start seeing, you know, uh, again, with the quality of the data that now we're centralizing through the cloud computing, we can do a lot of things centrally uh, when we bring this large volume of data into our ecosystem. But basically for me, I think the quality of the data is the fundamental problem that we have with this large volume. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, so you're really looking at it from the point of view that the larger it gets, the messier it is. And so then you yes. really have to understand your controls. Yes. Um, and, um, Maybe Ellen, if you can talk a little bit to you know how you look at processing large volumes, and then and then we'll move to Dan, and we'll switch it up a little bit each question. Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, sure. Thanks. Um, you know, the problem is with volumes and volumes of data that you're drinking from, like a fire hose that you're trying to to you know bring in and analyze and use. The problem is, is that you really need quality of the data at the inception point. So there, back to your earlier slide, the people process and technology is really fundamental. So you want to set yourself up for the people who are consuming the data at the data services layer to already have a known sense of quality and how you uh, you know achieve that is fundamental to how you set up data governance. You have to have data stewards, you have to have domains, and those domain experts are identifying key data elements and assessing the initial data quality of those data stores in order from a subject matter expert view that know that domain and know the requirements of those data elements and what are key data elements and setting up data quality upstream so that later on, if you're getting some of this data in your cloud and, and getting access to this data in a lake, there is data quality being introduced at the point of you know, like I like to say upstream versus downstream, meaning that if you're a generator of, um, you know, a customer records or if you're a generator of transactions and things like that, that data has to be looked at by a subject matter expert. And you really, it is about the process and how you roll out your data governance framework. Again, establishing domains, getting data stewards, profiling the data, assessing that data quality at the right place, starting to roll out data quality rules in order to um, identify when there are defects, and then data quality incident management system. If you identify data quality defects, they have to be remediated, not, you know, they may not all be urgent, um, but they have to be remediated over time. Uh, otherwise, you cannot say that you have good quality data. So the users and the consumers of the data have to be able to see that there are scores and that data quality is being applied. And by the time they get it in a lake, that they have, they know that there are controls brought in there that they can assess the quality. And they can go to a glossary and see that this is how the data is used. This is the context of the terms that I'm using in this domain. 
This is how it's used at this organization. Context is everything. In my former life, someone defined straight through processing one way. I went to create some metrics and scorecards and, and my boss defined it a different way. The outcome was a data quality issue. It, it, it really was because it was the information I was, you know, cons- um, pushing out there was not of accurate, re- accurately reflecting what the real world of that information started at at the term. So those are the important things. So it really does take a village to um, really pull together, not just data quality, um, but it's your data governance framework and how the people process and technology work together. Thanks, Ellen. Yeah, so, um, so Ellen, you're really focused on how do you enable the people so that people know what is going on there. Um, while Lara was talking a little bit more just about trying to get your arms around all that volume and putting governance and controls mm-hmm. in place. And maybe, Dan, you want to add to that from your perspective. Yeah, in terms of the challenges, there's quite a few. Uh, That's why it's so interesting, and that's why I love what I do. Uh, Just to give you a little background, State Street is a large organization. We have about 40,000 employees. Uh, We have about 20 data governance teams around the company. Uh, We have a federated approach, so we have about eight on the large side and maybe 12 smaller organizations with data governance capability. Uh, One of the challenges is just getting permission. So if you have an analysis or a dashboard or an AI model or whatever you want to do, you have to first get permission to access that data. And that can take up to two months, you know, meetings and discussions and back and forth, and, you know, people want to put SLAs in place. Um, and security is always a big consideration. You know, we're big enough that we, you know, we manage about 12 to 15% of the entire world's wealth, and we get attacked probably 20 to 40,000 times per day by uh, outside agencies and hackers. Um, but the problem we run into with large volumes of data, the challenge is garbage in, garbage out. You know, the, the basic precepts of computer science have not gone away. And sometimes it's not so much garbage, it's just harmonizing different views of the data from different systems. Most of the time, data is fit for purpose if it's in the original system it was intended to be used in and entered into. Uh, it's when you start moving it around that the challenges really come up. And that's why we've spent so much time on governance and definition and quality rules and operating forums, you know, weekly meetings, monthly meetings. Uh, you know, a lot of people, when you start talking data quality, they immediately want to jump to a tool discussion. Um, we take more of a lifecycle approach. So, you know, understand the data, profile it, start to develop business rules, and then turn on those rules and see what kind of exceptions you get. Uh, it plays very much into the data quality incident management. Uh, and, you know, I think of it as a case management, almost like from a help desk perspective. Uh, you have a violation of a rule. How many incidents of that violation did you get in that period? Um, and then do you follow through and make sure those get fixed? Uh, or, you know, the rule is adjusted or a program, you know, could be a, due to a bug in some code. Uh, and then you have some kind of dashboarding or reporting on that overall lifecycle. Uh, but it's really not a tool discussion. It's more of a, a cultural discussion and a process discussion. We, we just have a lot of manual processes still in place. People are emailing spreadsheets to each other. If someone else does something new, uh, they bring two different data sets together, then they email it off to a third person. And uh, that's challenging because, you know, there's really no data quality embedded into that other than human eyeballs. And as many 4i reviews as you might want to have, it's not always going to be sufficient. When, when time is tight and data has to be turned around quickly, uh, a lot of times those 4i reviews or reconciliations or whatever are the first thing that gets skipped when you have the big volumes of data. So we want to make sure that we gradually move to a more automated approach. We're very excited about what AI and ML can do, um, but, you know, we're still, I think, in the infancy of data quality in terms of using some of those AI and machine learning technologies to improve data quality. Uh, And then obviously, once you have that better data, you can pass it off to an AI model or whatever. Uh, And, you know, I don't honestly see the data quality tools industry taking up those uh, new technologies very quickly. They tend to be more deterministic and, you know, rules-based, and they haven't yet started to uh, really incorporate AI in a meaningful way, but I'm sure that will come. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dan. 
So uh, you're really focused then on the culture. So there's some common themes that all three of you kind of talked about when we talked about these problems. And it's you know, just the immensity of the data, the um, how clear is it? Do people really understand what it is? Do they have the proper context? And then are they able to use that data to do different things in the business in an efficient way? And it seems like we have challenges in all of those areas. So now let's move on and we're going to talk a little bit more from, um, and actually I'll just pause for a second. Are there any questions from the audience? Um, I know we didn't see any in the WebEx chat, but I just want to um, see if anyone had any questions before we moved. Okay. So the uh, the next item here is really, you know, when so we have we know that we have these issues. We know we have quality issues. We know that we do a lot of manual processes. We're putting incident management controls in place, trying to measure our maturity, trying to put a life cycle in place so that this becomes a, a virtuous cycle versus, you know, a, a one-off, you clean your data and then it gets dirty again. So trying to get all that done. But what is the consequence if, if it doesn't happen? Like what types of issues have you guys seen um, from a data quality perspective? What are the, the consequences of that? And maybe we'll start with Ellen on this one. Um, Ellen, if you want to talk to it. Yeah, um, in financial services, there are things that you'll see in the newspaper as consequences like fines um, and enforcement actions. Um, so that is, you know, anyone in a financial institution that's heavily regulated by the state and the federal level, um, that's it's highly consequential. Um, the ever since Dodd-Frank and the financial crisis, um, that has made data governance and data quality very popular, and that's why I'm so excited to be in this job. But it's also, you know, um, <laughs> you know, it's very, very scary because uh, the materiality impact of information going to a regulator um, can, you know, can really impact you um, as a financial institution trying to operate. The other part of it is is the very important thing is if you're a customer facing, right? You know, your integrity, you lose data. Um, you know, you can get fined, yes, but are people going to trust you? I mean, think of it on a, on a you know, what we all rely on is your bank statement and going to the ATM and being accurate, right? I mean, if you go to the ATM and it has a negative sign in front of it, you know, your first thought is not, I have a data quality issue. I got someone hacked me and took all my money out or something. And then you start, you know, trying to contact your bank representative. You will have that happen once you're going to lose your customer base. So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's integrity as an organization that could get reported very publicly. Once you start reading in the headlines that, you know, an organization has been fined, that becomes a very serious consideration to shareholders and people in general. That's kind of sticks in your mind. And then on a customer ret client retention, how are people going to trust you when you push out more and more products and services and things like that if they can't log in correctly? There's many, many touch points for customers. So it is high stakes poker for us in the banking world. I'll say that. And Dan, I, you know, Dan can, you know, hand it over to Dan or, or whomever. Um, it, it, it's really, really high stakes poker. Thank you, Ellen. Yeah, Dan, if you want to maybe. Um, sure. I mean, we have all kinds of anecdotes. It's, it's the same basic thing. I mean, for me, it, it's trust that I can have in the data, and it's also trust that the general public or the customers can have in me. So when I'm putting my data out there to a regulator, it's really my reputation that's on the line. Uh, there are, of course, a lot of regulations that are, you know, new, fairly new, uh, GDPR in, in Europe for the general data protection regulation and the corresponding kind of movement in U.S. states, for example, in California. Um, and then there's just the manual effort that goes into fixing data quality issues. We're doing a project right now in my team 
to look at the process across our whole business unit and the different groups that are involved in data quality. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately for a bank, everything we do is data. You know, we're not actually in the back room counting the money. The money's gone. It's zeros and ones at this point. So we're talking about the quality of those zeros and ones, and it can have a big impact. Uh, when you're dealing with, you know, 10 plus percent of the world's money, um, you know, there are big impacts when you get it wrong. Uh, and trust takes a, a nosedive. And the way we define quality data, it's uh, a simplified definition, but it's accuracy, completeness, timeliness, and consistency. And sometimes the timeliness aspect is, did we deliver the data on time? You know, the right information a day late is just as much of a problem as, you know, the wrong information on time. So we have a lot of SLAs that we're putting in place around the bank, between different parts of the bank, to make sure the information gets to where it needs to be in a timely way. And unfortunately, uh, the coronavirus has put a lot of visibility on that because we had huge volume spikes in, in like March and April. Uh, we had issues over the summer with, uh, you know, everyone working from home has caused a lot more errors in, in data uh, because they're just not supported in the same way that they would be if they're in the office. Everyone has coped, obviously, and we've, we've fixed a lot of the issues. Uh, but working from home has put a lot of strain on our, on our infrastructure and on our people. But ultimately, it's reputation and trust. And, you know, if you think about financial services, people have a choice. They can, you know, go across the street, so to speak, to that other bank if they feel more confident that the bank is going to protect their assets. And so even though we're very institutional, you know, we deal in trust. And that's, you know, really our biggest asset. And if the data isn't there to support it, if there are problems with the data, you know, people notice. You get their names wrong. You spell their company name wrong, the street name. You have the wrong zip code, the account number's wrong, the transfer didn't go through, whatever it was. Uh, there's a great quote by a guy named Robert Orr that says, data quality problems are like dirt on the windshield of your car. You can keep letting it build up and build up and build up, but sooner or later you're going to have to stop and clean the windshield or you're going to risk going over the cliff. And, you know, I've, I've paraphrased it a little bit, but uh, low quality data for me, you know, and, and we define our thresholds very high, you know, typically 99% clean or higher. Uh, and that last 1% is very expensive. You know, you have to define where your threshold is and what you accept as, you know, a, a, a non-critical quality problem. Because sometimes fixing all of the, the quality issues is either not possible or just not cost effective. But depending on what the use is, and, you know, our consumers are the ones that define uh, the quality standards for us. So, it, you know, we happen to sit at the upstream end of the food chain, and we're providing data to, you know, the other 20 areas of the bank um, more often than we're consuming data. So we can have people pull up, pull up and say, hey, you know, you have a quality issue, and we have to sit down and engage with them and figure out what's causing it, you know, what's that root cause, how frequent is it, what's the impact, uh, how much money. And, and roughly 20% of our operational data, uh, our operational losses, financial losses that, you know, we pay refunds to customers or whatever, about 20% of those are associated with low-quality data. So it's a very pervasive problem that we're kind of constantly working on uh, in order to reduce the frequency and the incidence and the impact to uh, drive those numbers lower and, in consequence, drive trust higher. Yeah, so there's there's – from what both of you said, it really goes across your business. And, um, and so, so Laura, when you're looking at it from your client's point of view, because I know you're trying to help people put data governance programs in place, um, what kinds of things are they most focused on with low quality data? Yeah, thank you. And I, I'm going to uh, add on to what Rene and Dan already uh nicely positioned before us, especially in the financial space. Most of my clients are, are in the heavily regulated space. And as you know, I've spent the last uh, 11, 12 years uh, in that regulatory world. And um, and the interesting thing I find with uh, this, uh, the way we've been fixated on the regulatory space in the financial world is that it's really taken most of these financial institutions away from the core business. Again, if you're a bank, you are there to make money. Let's be factual with this. So helping, you know, so for most of my clients, and that's why the positioning of my offering is really interesting, and I find it, how do we do 
uh, start treating the health of our data as a natural thing, not simply because we have the regulatory gun in, on our head, or uh, we have the police and, you know, and we're not doing, uh, we're not taking care of the health of our data simply because we're going to get those regulatory scrutiny, we're going to get the fines, and, you know, again, what can happen when we have no quality data? It's like saying, what can happen if you have your front door open? A lot of bad things can happen. We, of course, the, the one that is very vivid to us is in the regulatory space because we get all those sanctions. We make the, you know, you start making the headline news. You know, we all heard about um, Citigroup a couple of weeks ago, and it keeps going. And you you often wonder, like, when is this going to help, you know, stop? Because now you see that like, your peers are getting sanctioned, and you think somebody would kind of learn some lessons from that. But again, this is huge. The regulatory scrutiny is there. You know, we know that, you know, the reputational risks are there. But really, stepping away from that and helping organizations to pivot away from Thinking we're taking care of the earth of our data in order to be compliant should not be the natural, that should not be our motivation. That's my stance on the low quality data. The stance is because, uh, my stance on this is because there's a lot of rich values in our data. And I know, again, there's a lot of mantra, uh, data is the new hall, it's a data-driven world, data is an asset, but your data can truly not be an asset if you're not treating it right. If the quality is low, you're not seeing the opportunities that they that you have in there. Financial institutions, we want to see the risk of every customer that walks into the bank. We want to know that, you know, if it's a riskier customer, if this is the kind of person we should be engaging in and all of those. These are things that help our growth and help us to really uh, to harness the full potential in our data. And for all industries, even besides the financial space, you want to look at the data as really that rich asset where you can start doing a lot of things in terms of analytics, opportunities you have, because again, every new, you know, the potentials in your data, you, you, you know, we, in our quest even for big data, our quest is really for that insight, for that business intelligence, so that we can see new opportunities that are emerging. What are our customers saying? Get feedback from the customer. If you have rich quality data, if you're taking care of your data, you begin to see things that, you know, maybe new business opportunities and maybe some products you shouldn't even be offering because your, our customers are giving us feedback all the time. Now that we have all this vast amount of data with, you know, where we can actually see what customers are doing. And I often use that Amazon same day delivery uh, model uh, as one of my big one use case that, you know, Amazon is able to see one product, the product that you are browsing, but you didn't really drop them in your in your basket, in your shopping cart. And they kind of, you know, look at the number of, you know, there's an algorithm then, of course, to see the number of times you've been playing around that product, but you never dropped it in the, in the basket. And they'll position it. The next time, I think there's a calculation there. The next time you go in into your Amazon, uh, uh, whatever, you see this being offered. What they do is they quickly ship it to the nearest uh, warehouse closest to you. And then you see that as a, you know, it's a bit. And they position it as a same-day delivery. You think they have the magic week to see that? No, it's all the insight in their data. If that data is of poor quality, they're never going to be able to see that. So how do you harness the full potential in your data? You need to take care of it. Otherwise, you're not going to see the potentials in it. You're not going to see the untapped values in it. And again, it's going to cost you more from the regulatory space and even from the market space. And we can see that 2020 Year 2020 is a good year for us for data because it's all about data. We've all learned one thing or the other around what's going on with the COVID situation simply because we can trust the data. We see what's happening. We cannot see the trending, what's on, what's up, the rate of infection and everything. Imagine if those data, if the data is not trusted will be all over the place. And that's simply, you know, again, there's no uh, there's no magic with there's no there's no microwave approach to treating the head of, of, of your data as your number one priority. And that's why I advocate for this. 
And I, I think we've talked a lot about the challenges now, and we got a, a nice question from the audience asking about um, the enterprise's first step in building out a data quality strategy. So how do you go about that? Maybe if you guys can give some expertise there. Maybe, Dan, do you want to take that first? Sure. I, I think it's important to realize that a data quality strategy should fit within an, a larger data strategy and data governance strategy. But putting that aside, um, you know, who are the providers? Who are the consumers? What does good look like to the consumer? Uh, you know, what are their data quality requirements? You know, and, and how, do you, how do you know? Like, if, if you're going to have a way uh, it could be embedded into the source code of the providing application. Hey, whenever you do an extract, these are the things you test for. Um, you you want to be able to show the regulator that you have a process in place for managing data quality incidents. Uh, you know, we have a system from IBM we use to track data quality issues. Uh, we used to call it data quality issue tracking. They've just renamed it to something else that I don't remember. But uh, essentially, the tools are, you know, if you look at the life cycle, it's first profiling. So you want to be able to have a profiling capability to quickly turn around profiling the request. Uh, then you want to understand and, and start to build business rules uh, to you know, start to trap and, and to flag as exceptions. Now, granted, that's not enough by itself. You want to be able to look at those because we've had systems where they had an exception log and they wrote all their exceptions to it and no one ever looked at it. Um, but if you start doing that and then you start managing those exceptions as if they were help desk case, uh, you know, incidents, uh, then you want to be able to eventually, you know, not only fix the issue, but show that you fixed the issue. And so that you can have statistics like, well, that particular database, we, we have achieved the 99% quality rating for the past six plus months. So I'd say your data quality strategy should be embedded in your overall uh, data strategy. And another important point is make sure your data strategy is in alignment with your overall corporate strategy, which they usually are, because a lot of the time I, I say to people, well, we have this five-year strategy for the bank, um, you know, but it's all about customer growth and retention and revenue increases and cost reductions. And, you know, you really can't do any of that with, with bad quality data. So you usually is pretty good alignment, but I would say by the time you get down to the data quality strategy, you ought to be able to measure it. You ought to be able to, you know, have initial measurements or profiling, then, you know, build business rules and other methods of increasing the quality, track that increase, uh, and then have some idea, for example, if you're talking about an issue like duplication, how much do, you know, does a duplicate record cost us? Uh, and then you can maybe make the business case that, hey, every time we have an issue, uh, it costs us $200 per incident to fix, uh, and that's probably on the low side. then it's easy to fix. But if it doesn't get caught until after, that problem is going to be replicated out to 38 different downstream systems that consume that data. So obviously a lot more work goes into fixing it if it's too late, but you know, it's already been replicated maybe on a daily or hourly basis. So uh, those are the types of things I'd say to look at. A data quality strategy also has to have a lot of emphasis on cultural change because it's, it's really people's attitudes about data that drives data quality improvement. It's, it's not really going to be the tools. Uh, and that was why one of the earlier slides where we had people processing technology uh, and information or data, I always add that in because a lot of times people want to talk about data quality, but they never actually look at the data. So I would put that first and foremost and, and start with profiling. Yep. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. I'll just chime in on what uh, Dan just uh, said, and I absolutely agree with you. It, it, it is your data quality strategy is really, uh, you know, you, you need to really come from a position of, uh, of vision because you need to have your hand in mind in order to uh, carve out a good strategy that works for you, for your organization. And that's understanding your problem, your pain points understanding what the problem statement of your organization is, how you're going to get there. And uh, one thing I like to add to that as well is the fact that it has to be, you know, again, this vision is something that has to be shared with the whole enterprise. So there's literacy uh, around that, you know, the educational part of that, so that everyone in the organization understands where we're try what we're trying to achieve and how we're going to get there. It's not going to be overnight. 
uh, but baby steps. That's why the monitoring part is very, very key. Uh, what are those metrics and how do we measure what are the KPIs so that we, we start measuring and we can start, uh, you know, making baby steps around, you know, getting to where we want to be. And yeah, this is, it's very foundational, but uh, we need to have, um, every organization, I believe, needs to have, you know, good visionaries um, that drive uh, their data initiatives. Whoever is driving it uh, is really going to be the one that would help you really sweeten the deal. You need to get someone that is a champion, that understands data, that understands your pain point as an organization, you know where you want to be, understands your competing data demands, because you have to weave all of those into your quality strategy. I'm just going to say that from a data quality strategy, it, it you know it in depending on the size of your organization, it, uh, the chief data office has become fundamental towards making sure that there's that top-down buy-in from the executive management because you have to have that, and then from a you know really making a data quality program successful. Data quality lives in one of the pillars that is part of data governance, and it is the data stewards. And you have to set up your organization, your data governance organization. Are you going to have data owners? Are you going to have data stewards? The data stewards are out there identifying in their domains, their subject matter expertise area, the key data elements. You can't boil the ocean. You can't sit there and say, I'm going to do all of the data. So there's like the key data element strategy, and then there's also data migration strategy. Build it and bake it into the software development lifecycle process. Make sure that data that's coming in as new migration efforts has a data quality layer that the number of records being passed back and forth and the values if you're using ETL if you're using SQL or things like that there's controls there because yes data is touched by IT in these technical tools there are opportunities for the logic to be built these mapping things there's lots of things to think about so data at rest data in motion is part of your strategy Strategy. The other part is really like who knows the data, who's going to be responsible and accountable for, for writing these business rules and, and data quality rules and monitoring those and making sure that there's a remediation. From a data quality framework, I look at my data quality program as there's data quality oversight and support where we support with the tools and there's incident management and those two are married together and you have to have a robust incident management system same as with you had would have like an incident management application and tool um, you have to have people accountable being assigned the issues to remediate and not all, every issue um, can be remediated so it, it might be risk accepted for a while and then all of those issues that are getting remediated over time will help bump up the data quality you're seeing this in a day-to-day -day basis in your scorecards when those DQ rules stop kicking out exceptions and the quality gets better so it really is is fundamental to um, what Dan and Laura also said, but you start data quality with profiling the data, assess the current state. You can't just believe that quality is, you have high quality data. Um, and you have to profile that and you have to set yourself up for that to be the stepping into of writing data quality rules to monitor it and then setting up your reporting framework with the results of what the quality is and eventually make that across all of your domains of data. It's no easy task. It's daunting. You have to have people that really want to, like I say, I'll be doing this till I'm in a wheelchair. I probably will be. Um, you have people that really want to make data an asset and really care about it. And the people that even though they get tired, they stay on point, they stay on message and they believe and they drive this and they never surrender. There's another way around it. There's another way to do this. We'll find a way and just keep being persistent.
Yeah, thank you. And I think, you know, by because my next question was really diving more into the problems. I think we've covered that a lot. And I really appreciate the feedback on the solution from all three of you. So if I can kind of just summarize that, you know, really it's about defining where you are. So um, and that's what Dan was talking about with the profiling and, and things like that and understanding the state of where you're at. Laura, you were talking about the vision of where you want to go. I think I heard all of you talk about the different stakeholders. So your clients, your regulators, your executive management, being empathetic about what each of them want out of that data program and putting that into your vision. And then Ellen, you talked a lot about just about the actual process of of the continuous process and setting up some sort of separation of duties so that you've got the controls in place, which was referred to by all three of you. So by putting all of that together, then you have a nice data program that you can use where you can then gain confidence in the data. And I think really what we were after here was to talk about how do you get the confidence in the data so that then you can actually run your business and make business decisions. So I think there are a lot of nice little snippets about that. You know, um, Laura, you had talked about, you know, that banks are in the business to make money, you know, other businesses, which I know some of you on the phone are from other industries. Each industry has its purpose. And are they spending that time meeting their purpose or are they spending that time messing with data? And so how do you make that part of your fabric in your organization? So I really appreciate all the time that you guys gave today and your insights to this audience, because I think for people looking at careers in data, this now is another avenue, which is how do you get it clean in the first place so that then you can do the fun stuff on the other side. So um, Sonia, I'm going to turn that over to you. Sure. Yeah, this was a really great conversation. And I want to give a special thank you to everyone for joining. And of course, our amazing panelists, the moderator, Erica, and our Women in Big Data partner. So if you tuned in late and you missed part of this segment, this is actually going to be available in both a podcast and video format. And if you have any other questions about what you heard today, um, feel free to reach out to us at purenova.com and we will be sure to connect you with the right person. But thank you again, everyone. Please stay safe as the year wraps up and have a very happy holidays. Thank you. Same to you. Thank, thank you. you all. Thank you. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, thanks for listening to Digital Switch where we provide deep dives into enterprise tools and topics surrounding data and digital transformation. You can find us, subscribe to us, and share us on your favorite podcast streaming service, digitalswitch.show, and recently on YouTube. You can also stay up to date on all podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and all things Piernova at Piernova.com and at Piernova Inc. on Twitter. That's all from us, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe.